You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin today by calling in the spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who have gone before us, who lived well and died well and bring to us all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to those who carry the lineage, the lineage of past hopes Uh, past successes and even the failures but the failures from which people learned people learned how to be better people people learned how to live sustainably in their world people learned to be better than they were before with a greater understanding greater compassion greater ability to recognize their place in the great web of life so i call out to these ancestors to be with us here today and to help us the living understand What are we doing here and how to do it in a good way? So I ask those ancestors to gather around and I give such gratitude for their presence and for their willingness always to whisper in our ears to help us uh, to do a better job with each day. So with those ancestors gathered around and holding us well, let us turn our awareness inward from our head. Let's draw our consciousness down to our heart and from our heart to our bellies, from our bellies. Let's reach down into the earth. And as we touch the energy of the earth and take this moment to pull ourselves out of the day, out of the busyness of the day and into this moment with the earth, this moment of intimacy, this moment of connection, this moment of heartfelt gratitude for life, for the great diversity of life and the wonder and beauty in it, for the mystery For all the many things that have come to us, we have not yet figured out how to find the value in. We give thanks for this richness. We give thanks to the energy of the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience to the face of this planet. And we give thanks for all that has been in our lives that has brought us to this moment, for all that is and for all that will be. We take a moment, just a pause, a moment in this day to be in awe of the miracle of life that we each carry. And with wonder and gratitude in our hearts, let us reach our energy down through all the layers of the earth, all the way down to the very center of the earth and anchor ourselves, ourselves firmly there. It is our choice, our necessary choice, our responsibility to be grounded. And so we connect into the center of the earth and we invite the energy of the earth up, drawing this essence energy up into our bodies, into our day, into these proceedings to bring in the energy of restoration and rejuvenation, replenishment. And with these energies, let us find a way to act on all this wisdom that comes from the earth, the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form with everything else in a good way. And we call out to the energy of the earth that we might use this energy for grounding, for a sense of belonging, a sense of home and hearth, not one that is rooted only in one place with a certain people, but a sense of home and belonging we take with us that we may experience new places and greet people other than ourselves in a way uh, that we could eventually 
call uh, each place home and each person family. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth and may we use that energy to develop our sense of connection within ourself, our sense of connection with others, our connection with our environment, our connection with the spirit world. And may we have the courage to cultivate, cultivate intimacy in all of these realms that we might know the true oneness of this great web of life and find our place within it. And from this moment of awareness that we might then enter into right relationship with all things, including ourself. And as we draw the energy of the earth up into our bellies and from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds, let us reach our energy out through the sky out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching out past all the heavenly bodies and the great mysteries of our universe, all the way to the highest power. And by whatever name you know that power, name that power and know it, not as an energy outside of you, but see it as an energy within yourself and you within it. And in that moment of intimacy, let us draw the energy from above down, drawing in all of the wisdom of the cosmos, Drawing in blessing into our day, into ourselves, into these proceedings. Drawing down the energy of protection and the energy of devotion and generosity and benevolence. And this this understanding of how to engage in life. Engage with ourselves. Engage with bringing ourselves out into the world. So we call these energies in. Into our day. Into our mind. Into our heart. Into our belly. And we take a moment and appreciate the greeting, the great sigh of relief as the energy of above and below to come together within us and know that we are always, or at least we always have the potential to be the place that these two energies connect. And this is the energy of the Tao, the big love, as these two energies come together within us. Let them awaken in us a space for us to call out to the spirit of our heart. May the spirit of the heart be present with us here today in a big way. May it open and be the great crucible of change that it is designed to be. And we ask the energy of the heart to call up, to help us to call up the powerful passions of the belly. That sense of that great spark of life that each one of us carries, that carries in it the coding, the blueprint of why we are here. We call that energy up into the heart where it can be known and revealed. And we call the energy from a mind down the ability in the mind to see where we are, to work with what is, and to understand with clarity how to do things in the world. And so we bring these energies together in the heart in a way that they complement each other, that the mind comes to understand what it is uh, here to figure out how to do, and the great passions of the belly uh, finally find a way to be able to express themselves. And so together, these energies in the heart can give birth to why you are here, a sense, a knowing, a deep memory in the heart of why you are here and the gifts that you have to bring to the world. And it is in that very same heart that you must find the courage to do something, to bring those gifts out in expression and manifestation in the world. And may you risk that and find that courage in your heart to do something large or small today. So I have great, great, great thanks for the earth below, the sky above, for the ancestors gathered around, for all of our helping spirits and the spirits of land where each of us are resident at this time. For all of the spirit help, I give thanks. 
I also give great thanks to the people help, to those people who have been able to donate financially to the show to help me to keep the show on the air. I give great thanks. Without your assistance, we would not be here and we would not be available to those around the world who are not able to donate financially at this time. So I gave great gratitude to Patricia and Gracie. And yes, I would be honored to add your gift to my Earth Shrine. I give thanks to Chelsea and Irene and Sarah, Jade and Nate and all of the listeners who have been able to donate uh, to the show. If the show is meaningful to you in any way, you have been moved then in the heart because the heart is this place that we know what is meaningful to us. And if you've been moved in the heart, do that most fundamental act of shamanism, which is to allow your heart to then motivate your actions in the world. And so I ask you to do something to donate to the show any amount large or small in any currency you can just go to whyshamanismnow.com click on the support button and donate any amount that you choose to Um, and if you cannot do that i ask you to do something to help the show to grow and in particular to take what you are learning into your life to take it into your journey circles to take the questions into your journeys to step up to the challenges whatever it is do something to bring the teachings teachings alive in your life and email me and let me know how that goes let me know what happens Um, And please do, those of you that are technologically savvy and LinkedIn, please do those things that help the show itself to grow in that great internet web around the world. So I give thanks to all of you for your questions, for your show ideas, and for all that you are doing to help me um, to keep the show alive and well and useful to you. We are live this week. I hope you enjoyed Roman last week. He is um, an amazing man doing amazing work. Um, And I I hope you were inspired. Um, And those of you that were really inspired by Roman, I hope you will follow through and see what you can do to Paititi um, with Paititi Institute. Um, We are live this week. Um, If you have questions about today's topic, you are invited to call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So welcome everyone. Um, today's topic is shamanism is not an excuse to be crazy. Um, and there's, there's so many um, absolutely unexpected and beautiful things that this radio show has brought into my life. I hope it's bringing valuable things into yours. Um, and as with all things... Um, there has been a, one unexpected aspect, which is I'm starting to, to experience people in great gratitude for the show, talking basically about how the show has given them an excuse to be crazy in their life. And I mean crazy in the dysfunctional sense, not in the functional sense of crazy, but basically to give up on their responsibilities, to be grounded, to understand why they are here, and to bring that gift to the world. And this is, this is not, not a good fallout from this show. <laughs> So this show is dedicated um, to everyone who is doing um, all that it takes to be a healthy crazy person in the world and to help to make the world a better place. Um, And it's also dedicated to those who are um, letting that responsibility slip and um, falling into the mental unwellness that is also a big piece of contemporary life. And so this show is dedicated to all of us then. Um, so for those of you that don't know, back even, even into the 1950s, which is really recent history, anthropology students all around the world were still being taught as a fact 
that shamans were delusional and quite possibly schizophrenic. And they were taught this because shamans openly explained that they were speaking with disembodied beings, be they ancestors or spirits of the land or cougar spirit or eagle spirit or whatever. The point is they were pretty open about the fact that they were talking to spirits, talking to energies that had no bodies. And because of that, and then also um, erratic body symptoms that sometimes accompany um, trance, shamanic trance states, and sometimes um, more so in some cultures than others. But there would be like twitching and things that look like convulsions or spasms of the body, um, uh, a great flush of heat, um, just different um, reactions in the human physical body to moving um, spirit energies powerfully into the body. And the, these often, um, these, these um, body signals basically accompany both journey states and certainly embodiment trance states. Um, so anyway, these conclusions then were drawn by people that were observing. Um, and they were observing from a deeply, deeply biased assumptions, the assumptions of the Western world, the Eurocentric Western world. Um, so as research and researchers have matured and shamans have actually been given standard intelligence tests and standard psychological testing, it's been shown in general that these very same shamans that we used to state as a fact or delusional and schizophrenic um, were actually um, – shown that while they did tend to be more colorful and active in their imaginary thinking, um, they were actually mentally healthier than their counterparts in their own culture and often significantly more intelligent than what was the norm in their, in their culture. Um, and in addition, um, other researchers were beginning to show, kind of in, a, in another perspective, other researchers were beginning to show the mental health benefits of a culturally sanctioned altered state. And by that it means culturally accepted and practiced, widely practiced altered states uh, versus this Western idea that all mental states other than waking, sleeping, and dreaming were in some way dysfunctional or a sign of illness. So it's pretty clear today in 2013 that the brain itself in humans becomes quite dysfunctional without regular tending and cultivation. And in particular, the regular tending and cultivation that we humans achieve through a regular practice of entering an altered state like meditation, holotropic breath work, shamanic journeying, um, any, any number of culturally sanctioned altered states. Um, all of those lovely Chinese people practicing their qigong or tai chi in the park each morning. You know, these, these um, ways in which people take a period of time out of every day as a norm to be outside of the daily relationship with their brain and to draw their mind into an inner state of awareness, which is altered. It is not the state of awareness from which you can remember to pick up the dry cleaning and get your kid out of daycare. I mean, it, it, you're not thinking about those things when you're in these altered states, thus altered. Um, and what is really, for my money, been successfully shown at this point in time is that the brain requires this. You know, for the healthy growth and cultivation of a mind, it needs a break from um, the busyness and distraction and delusion, an onslaught of contemporary life. So there you have it. Shamans are not mentally ill. 
And your brain actually needs to be trained to be a healthy grown-up. That's pretty much where we are today. But then, of course, it shouldn't take billions of research dollars and decades and decades of academic research time for us to have figured out that the brain of a typical 18-year-old American male or female isn't going to make a stable, creative, self-aware grown-up. I mean, that didn't really take research for us to figure that out. Um, okay, so so there you have it. That's kind of where we're going today. But before I go any further, um, I would like to be clear about what I am not talking about today because I do not want to see the show's Facebook page fill up even more than it already is with everyone's favorite quote-unquote proof that mental illness leads to shamanism or that one must be mentally ill to practice shamanism or all of these other sort of favorite explanations about this particularly and deeply misunderstood topic. Okay, so I don't really want that to happen on the Facebook page. So if you've listened to this show regularly, or even not, if this is the first time you've listened, go to the archives. But if you have listened regularly, you know that I am not a fan of how my culture addresses mental illness today. Not at all. Um, And though I did not do a great job interviewing him, I am very happy to have had Dr. Seth Farber join us to talk about his book. Um, His recent book is The Spiritual Gift of Madness, The Failure of Psychiatry and the Rise of Mad Pride. It's available um, now from Inner Traditions. And I appreciated um, Dr. Farber's time with us to help us to understand what this culture calls madness and to understand it in a different way. And this is very important work. Um, In the show and in his book, Dr. Farber covered the history of how we got to where we are today, Um, in particular addressing issues like manufacturing illnesses to go with the pharmaceuticals being invented versus using science ethically, which means finding actual remedies for actual problems, regardless of who makes money off the remedy and how much, and for how long. In other words, if your goal is to make money, you don't want to make remedies that work. If your goal is to help people to transform, your your idea then is to make remedies that basically work and that you are constantly then working yourself out of a job. And so if your goal is to make money, that is not a bad plan. If your goal is to help people, it's a great plan. And so we t- there's a lot in this whole, in the whole healthcare system, but in particular around this issue, mental illness, what is or is not mental illness um, today that has um, an enormous amount to do with making money and not so much to do with how do we really address what is going on for people. And in particular, do we even know what is going on? for people in this particular topic. Okay, so Dr. Farber talked with us and in his book about the psychiatric survivors movement and mad pride, which many people don't know about at all. And it's important thing to know about because it's not unlikely that what the culture calls mental illness will touch each one of you one way or another, be it a sibling, be it a friend, be it an aging parent, um, We need to educate ourselves. And the central point um, of this um, Dr. Farber's book, but also these movements, is that the experience of madness itself has value, both for the individual and the society. 
ultimately it has value um, and that we could better realize this value by creating sanctuaries for people undergoing these experiences that allow that process to run its course without the need to intervene, stop the process or drug them. As I like to say, strap them down and drug them. You know, if, if I had told anyone what was actually going on for me at the time my shamanic um, initiation was happening, I would have been strapped down and drugged. Of course, if I told them I was depressed before that, I would have been drugged as well. So part of the issue here, uh, so this is an issue that is very close to home for me. Okay. So what we have defined then as mental illness um, is inconvenient. So this, this state we've been calling mental illness is inconvenient for the system of American life, granted. It is inconvenient and scary for people, often the person in the state and for people around, and sometimes dangerous, granted. But, you know, I'm inconvenient for American life, too. You know, anyone who sees the unwellness inherent in our culture and begins to live authentically in an effort to transform that system for the well-being of living things is inconvenient. It's just like... um, the inconvenient truth, the the movie slash documentary. I mean, yes, we do need to be inconvenient. And what we call mental illness is inconvenient, granted. But to quote from Seth's book, what we define as mental illness is not a disease, illness, or psychopathology. It is a rich inner experience in a visionary state that may be turbulent and scary at times, sometimes nightmarish and sometimes sublime, yet that's all tending to move toward a goal that is favorable for a better life. And I agree with this, and I agree with this whole, um, and I think it's important, this whole awareness that is brought forward so powerfully in Seth's book. And taking the next step in logic is not sound. The idea then that all mental illness is a shamanic initiation is not logical. It is not a sound logical step. It is an urban legend started by well-intended therapists who wanted to give their clients hope, but who truly did not know what in the world they were talking about. That mental illness that that is allowed to run its course may be an initiation of sorts. Granted, I mean, that is basically what I've just been talking about. But it's not necessarily a shamanic initiation. It's more like an initiation into adulthood. Once again, it's the efforts of life to transform the teenage brain into an adult brain. Right? When we look at the selfish and self-centered choices being made by the supposed adults running things around the world, we can easily see how desperate life is to create some grown-ups to start making choices that will be good for all living things. So granted, mental illness is an initiation or can be allowed to run its course. It can be an initiation of sorts. But what we fail to understand, because we do not understand initiation, because as a culture we are not initiated, is that the initiation of the shaman piggybacks on what has already occurred culturally, which is the initiation in the teens from childhood to adulthood. And so the desperate attempts of life right now to get people initiated 
is into adulthood, not into shamanism. But since the very people that started the urban legend weren't initiated into their own adulthood, they had no idea of the precedence, the, the, um, the sequencing with which initiations occur in indigenous life. So really what was happening is that shamans all over the world were openly acknowledging um, that a time of profound mental disconnect and discomfort from their everyday life was part of their initiation to becoming a shaman. And we, the American culture, latched onto that thinking we knew what we were talking about. We assumed they were talking about mental illness because we were so sure that engaging in a meaningful way with anything that is disembodied is mental illness. We were so sure that this total disconnect from everyday life was mental illness. But we were wrong because we're wrong in our definitions of mental illness in the first place. So, so let's take a step back. Let's put some use to the six and a half years that I spent researching the encyclopedia and and look at something intelligently. Let's look at shamanic illness initiations around the globe kind of thematically. And again, please do not post your favorite, no, Christina, these people said mental illness was their initiation on the Facebook page because that's our interpretation of their experience in their world, it's not mental illness. It's normal. It's a normal part of the path of development. Okay, but backing up. In pre-contact shamanic cultures, overall, there's basically two general themes in the, in the person's inner experience of quote-unquote mental illness as the initiatory path to shamanism. With those two themes, which I'll talk about in just a minute, there is also the path of the mysterious illness. So this path is an illness that is not necessarily mental, other than the incredible frustration of not being able to deal with. It's usually actually more physically debilitating. Um, and And in particular, it's a path of extreme physical debilitation that does not respond to treatment. Whether we're talking about the, the normal treatment for these symptoms in pre-contact shamanic cultures or today, it doesn't really matter. The point is you're having identifiable physical symptoms, a serious energetic and physical breakdown in the body, not able to function normally. You're losing your health basically and nobody can figure out why and, and it's not responding to what would be considered a normal course of treatment. And a really profound example of that on this show is, um, sorry, I'm spacing out, Michael Dunning, um, talking about his experience with you shamanism. And so, so again, that's a really profound example of physical illness, wasting away and not not being able um, to have any kind of treatment really work. So that's the physical mystery illness piece. And that's really not what we're talking about today. Today we're really talking about the mental illness route. Um, And so generally what happens with the uh, mysterious physical illness is as the individual turns to spirit 
relates directly with spirit and begins to develop intimacy with spirit, the physical symptoms abate until they eventually go away. If the person denies spirit, then the physical symptoms return or get worse. And so obviously there's a direct relationship between the person's relationship with spirit, their willingness to cultivate intimacy with their helping spirits, and their state of well-being. That's the common shamanic initiation through mysterious shamanic illness. Okay, so that's that route. So let's go back to these mental illness routes. So, so there's two basic themes in the mental illness, quote-unquote, uh, route to shamanism. Now understand once again, if we had translated these people correctly, we would have understood they were not talking about mental illness. They were simply talking about what is normal in initiation. We labeled it that because we consider any conversation with a disembodied being mental illness. We consider um, any of these altered state experiences mental illness. We labeled it that. They don't. And that's really important. If we really want to understand this and stop confusing ourselves, we need to understand this. Okay, so the themes in the mental illness path. Okay, so one theme is that the soul, and we would call it the journeying soul, basically the dreaming soul, the part of ourselves that moves about in these altered states, is stolen or kidnapped, soul-napped soul by spirit. And in particular, by the spirit, that culture um, identifies as the, the kidnapper of would-be shaman children. <laughs> it's almost always a child. And they are almost always looking for a pure heart. And so the, the soul of the child is tested. And so, so now, okay, so, so there's a whole story. And when the person prevails and returns from this experience, which could take years, when the soul returns and inhabits the body again and they tell the story, the story follows the same template again and again and again, unique for each person and yet the same theme. This is not what um, Westerners are talking about in their state of mental illness. And so it's really important to understand these themes. So the theme of the kidnapped soul is that the initiator spirit of the shamans is looking for um, a pure heart and in that also a, a wild heart in the sense that, that I've talked about, you know, a wild heart that will be willing to fearlessly love and has not really been domesticated by the culture's sort of everyday norming of things. And in this experience, understand that the child, the body, and what remains of the soul, the kid is left in life, usually sort of sleepwalking through life, often spending a lot of the time in bed. They eat, they drink, they poop, they pee. I mean, they're still alive, but it's not really much of a life worth living. And the, the, the soul that's been stolen talks about returning, like returning on its birthday, returning at specific times and trying to get the family to notice them and observing their sort of sleepwalking physical self just, just – um, really, really flat and um, without emotion at the birthday party or at the whatever. And um, so there's a very clear experience going on here of the, the enlivening animated soul 
of the person having this other experience in a sense being trapped in this other realm, this realm that is being tended by this initiatory shamanic spirit, uh, initiator of shamans spirit. Um, so like in Nepal, this is Banjakri and Banjakrini, the, the husband and wife team, um, if you can call it that. Anyway, my point is the spirit steals the souls looking for the pure heart, looking for the wild heart. And once that's found, once that's confirmed, once that's identified to the spirit's liking, the spirit begins to train the soul there in non-ordinary reality. And so this, this set of this training ensues so that the person is learning in the spirit world the skills they will use when they come back into the physical world to help the people. And so they're picking up their medicine, literally. So they, they're having this illness back in their physical body, this energy illness, mental illness in their physical body. Um, but in their energy body, they're being trained. They're gaining these skills. And that ultimately, they need to master this set of skills to the degree that they can succeed in escaping, escaping the spirit realm and returning to the physical realm. And so this is the whole scenario with a beginning, testing of the heart, a middle, training, and an end. The the manifestation, the demonstration of the skill set to the degree that the soul can escape and return to its own body, which has been sleepwalking through life, and animate its physical self again, bringing this wisdom literally out of this experience that could be years out of the spirit world into the physical world where it can now be put to use for the people and whatever the symptomology the physical body sleepwalking through life was having abate you know almost instantaneously as the shaman comes back and sometimes there's a little a little leftover physical something a little little physical symptom left over just to keep the shaman the now shaman um, honest to keep them humble and to remember that these great gifts that they you know they've escaped but you know they need to always remember that all that makes them who they are came from that experience in the spirit world so that's one theme of the quote unquote what we have labeled mental illness now from my perspective that doesn't sound at all like mental illness to me that sounds like a great adventure. It's coherent. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It's a story. And frankly, it's a teaching story. It becomes a metaphor then for, for the ordinary person passing through any sort of initiatory experience in life. In other words, an experience in life that forces you to change to live. Okay, so that's theme one in around the globe in shamanic cultures, in the, in the mental, quote-unquote, mental illness route, which, again, the shamanic people wouldn't call mental illness. We called it mental illness, and we don't know what we're talking about. Okay, so uh, theme two is greeting, being greeted and challenged. So it's not so much the same kind of um, soul theft, um, kidnapping. It's not really a theft. It's a kidnapping. <laughs> it's a soul napping. It's not so much the soul napping story. It's more, um, you know, because you don't go anywhere necessarily. Um, 
Or your people, if they're organized enough around this, like Australians, for example, Aboriginal Australians, for example, they, they, they see the symptoms of the greeting happening and they actually basically pick up the person and take them to the place, to the sacred site where this experience can run its course. And so the physical body and the spirit body are taken, for example, with um, Australian Aboriginal people often to a particular cave. But it's not just Australia. It's typical. A cave, some sort of sacred site, a particular hut in which other people, somewhere outside of everyday life where your, your experience can now run its course. Recall the idea of the sanctuaries where people can run the course of their mental illness. So there is a similarity there. Anyway, my point is the greeting. So the greeting is, um, greeting in quotes, the greeting is usually a feeling. So spirit is coming to greet you. Hi, I'm your initiatory helping spirit. I'm going to make you a shaman if it kills you. So that's what's going on. But the greeting is usually experienced as being utterly and completely overwhelmed. By the spirit. And so now we're sounding a little bit more maybe like a typical American mental illness, but not really. Because this greeting spirit is known to the person being greeted. Because it's culturally defined. It's culturally expected in a sense. It's culturally known at least. And the symptoms of this greeting, of the one being greeted, are recognized by the people around as that overwhelm um, experience of a person suddenly being merged with an initiatory spirit. Now understand, this is happening to a person who has already survived their childhood initiation into adulthood. They are already functioning and acknowledged as an adult in their life and taking adult responsibilities. Okay, so on top of that now, this person is being overwhelmed by this spirit. Hi, I'm going to turn you into a shaman if it kills you. That kind of spirit. Okay, so the person then, body and spirit, are now in an experience. And this the difference between the soul napping is the soul experiencing things in non-ordinary reality has no awareness of being separate from the body. The awareness is that this experience in non-ordinary reality is the total experience. There is no awareness of the body being left behind. There is a sense, a complete sense of everything going with it. Everything is involved now in the experience. There's not the separation between the kidnapped soul aware of the body being left behind. This is the sense of the body and the soul um, utterly overwhelmed by the greeting spirit and being taken in a sense into this other experience. And in this other experience, again, there is a beginning. There, well, that is the beginning. There is a middle. So you're in, you sort of have, are forced to surrender and give over to the being taken taken into this other experience, which is a challenge or a test, Um, continuously a challenge or a test. Now, the thing about the challenge and the test is you've heard other shamans in your culture talking about these stories your whole life. So you have a sense of what's coming. It's kind of an oh shit sense of what's coming. But again, it's part of the cultural 
path that is understood. It's not walked by many, but it's been walked before. That path of what it means in our culture to come into intimacy, this overwhelming intimacy with the helping spirits that serve our culture, work with our culture, and to come into the kind of intimacy with them that will allow me to serve my people or allow these spirits to serve my people through me. This is, in a sense, a known experience, except that the enormity, the, the, the overwhelming intensity of it cannot be known until it's experienced. So the beginning is the greeting and the overwhelm. The middle is the journey, the tests, the challenges. Um, and in some cultures, it's more a test of wits. And in other cultures, it's more um, uh, uh, what feels like a physical challenge, like having to climb the rope up into the heavens to get to a certain place or um, various feats of um, uh, death-defying feats that are part of the understanding once you're in that experience that you must achieve a certain something, a certain place where certain spirits are, a certain energy, a certain goal. So there is once again a journey. There is a middle part of the journey where you are tested, you are challenged, and in the end, you prevail or you fail. I mean, this is the other thing about both of these. In the soul kidnapping, soul napping, or this um, greeting challenge motif, theme, is it's possible that you fail. And some people simply fail and are sickly the rest of their life. Others are crazy in a bad way, in a not helpful way, the rest of their life. What would be considered by that culture to be a mental illness? They, they, they are valued for their intimacy with spirit, but no one would ever listen to their interpretation because they didn't make it through the initiatory experience that had a beginning and a middle and an end. They got dropped out. So maybe the soul napping, They got dropped out because their heart wasn't pure. They got dropped out because they were too domesticated and couldn't surrender to the wildness. They get dropped out of the greeting challenge theme because they can't meet the challenges. They don't have the heart for it. They don't have the courage to pull out that part of themselves they never knew existed because it's the only way to make it on the challenge in the journey. And so this is the thing that is inherent In the shamanic sort of quote-unquote mental illness initiation, it's not chaotic. It's not random. It's a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. And if you do not make it yourself to the end, alone to the end, this is not something other shamans help you do that are already initiated. You must make it to the end of this journey, this story, alone to prove, to become the person worthy uh, or able, both worthy, but also able to forge that kind of intimacy with spirit, to surrender the fears, to surrender the ego, to surrender, I'm my mother's child, I'm my father's child, to surrender all of it, to become someone else, someone that you weren't before, that can meet the challenges, that can follow this journey that can make it through the middle, which is terrifying, humiliating, um, involves a great deal of suffering, and basically scares the crap out of you. But can you make it to the end anyway and become, come out the other side? 
And so another aspect of the greeting challenge motif is dismemberment, which we get totally fixated on the whole dismembering part, which is rarely the point in a shamanic initiation. I mean, dismemberment basically is just a cleansing, big deal. They're going to be dismembering you for the rest of your life if you make it through this journey. So what? Who's counting, right? The issue with dismemberment in these indigenous cultures is what do they put back in when they put you back together? For example, the crystals placed in certain chakras or body parts that allow the shaman, you know, allow the person, once they come back into everyday life and start to function as a shaman, to access the crystal in their heart or in their belly or their mind or whatever it is or whatever new body part, whatever new item the spirits put back in when they reassemble the person. And, you know, our intentionally dismembering and remembering ourselves isn't this kind of initiation. It's how we take the themes, take the teaching story out of it and understand that there's small D dismemberments and small R rememberings happening in our life all the time. And the more we participate in that, the better. But that's not initiation. That's not this kind of indigenous culture's initiation. And so, so yes, dismemberment is often a part of the, challenge, the greeting challenge theme of um, shamanic initiation. Uh, but again, the most important aspect of that is what did they put back in and how do you use it when you go back into the world? So eventually, in this case, at the end of this story, um, the greeting challenge story, the person wakes up eventually back in the world with a real day, you know, in the real world, real day, got all body parts, but senses inside and feels the energy body is different. It is forever changed. And the question then becomes, you know, how do I take this new self into the world? And in the greeting challenge path, so greeting, challenge, return of, um, sort of the newly fashioned energy body soul into the physical body, return to the everyday ordinary reality world, that path then requires training. It's kind of an interesting distinction between these two is is in the challenge, you are not necessarily learning how you're going to be a shaman. You may be getting the parts to do it, but now you have to learn how to use it. And so often in cultures that have the greeting challenge path, uh, to initiation, after that's occurred, the person then um, become, uh, becomes an apprentice, usually begins to work with an, uh, an already working shaman, initiated and working shaman to learn the how. How do I work with this crystal they stuck in my knee or whatever? You know, how do I work with this animal that now lives in my second chakra? You know, how do I do this? So, so, there's, so, so that, that's a little bit of a distinction between these two paths of when the training actually comes in. But the important thing about both of these stories is they have a beginning, they have a middle, they have an end. They are both unique and similar culturally, you know, person to person. And at the end, the distinction is the person has become someone who has a capacity for an intimacy with spirit an increased capacity for an intimacy with spirit and an understanding of the connection of all things and a greatly decreased capacity to participate in the bullshit of everyday life. And I mean that even with contemporary cultures because I, you know, they had bullshit too. 
Right. And so you really have this capacity to recognize what it feels like when humans are participating as they are meant to participate with life and when they are out of right relationship. And you, you, you have a much decreased ability to tolerate people out of right relationship. Okay, so that's really the two themes traditionally in of quote-unquote mental illness that makes someone a shaman. That is really not what I'm hearing when I'm hearing talking, people talking about their supposed mental illness in America, for example. And one of the... Um, so these really break down into two themes, as I see it, um, and that both of these themes are not initiation of an adult into being a shaman. They are not about forging intimacy with spirit. So the first theme is, I don't know how to work my energy body. So the mental illness the person is experiencing has to do with no grounding, no boundaries, um, no relationship with their chakra system, no responsibility for these things, no understanding that they need to, so that they are being overrun by people's energy, overrun by disembodied beings' energies. The energies are not necessarily even good or bad, or um, what am I meaning to say? They're not necessarily being possessed, for example. They are just overrun on a daily basis by the energies embodied and not in their life, and it is driving them crazy. And, that is, and it, is, it is experienced as mental illness, distress, stress, frustration, leading to this chronic mental state. But the bottom line of that experience is you do not know how to take responsibility for your energy body. And if you did, all of this experience that is being labeled mental illness would go away. There's no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end, there's no story. It's not about intimacy with spirit. It is about your intimacy with your own being, with your own fact of your own humanity. This is not initiation into shamanism. It is initiation into adulthood. So that's theme one in kind of everyday American mental illness. Theme two is I can't work my ego. And this, this leads to these, these messianic um, themes in people's breaks with reality. And um, the, this, I believe, is, is patterned into us because we exalt the mind, we exalt monotheistic religions, we exalt um, polarity, dualistic polarity kind of thinking politically, that it is entirely the result of what we value culturally that sets people up to have no realistic, useful idea of how to deal with an utterly overblown ego that it knows it's based on a profoundly shaky foundation and a soul life, a spirit life that has been utterly um, ignored, neglected, and abandoned, or worse, a spiritual life that has been shaped in a religion that is utterly monotheistic, racist, sexist, and again, is only contributing to the unhealthy ego development. 
again, no beginning, no middle, no end, no story, not about intimacy with spirit. Once again, purely about the over-identification with the mental, egoic, mind part of our life, neglect, um, fear, and dismissiveness of our true soul energy, our spirit energy. And so again, this is not about intimacy with spirit out there, shamanism, initiatory spirit. This is about intimacy with your spirit, your soul. And this is why I am saying in today's show that mental illness, as we describe it in this culture, is not an excuse to be crazy. I mean, shamanism is not an excuse to be crazy. And mental illness is not necessarily shamanic initiation. This is life desperately trying to get you to wake up, grow up past whatever you thought was all having it all together at 18 and understand you are in an energy body. You need to understand its components and how to cultivate it day in, day out, perhaps more so now than ever because of the overpopulation of people, the um, lack of time spent out in nature where the natural things help us simply naturally fall into our own nature, the incredible amount of distraction, And profound amounts of misinformation. Never before has your own truth cord mattered more than right now. And you don't even know you have one. Well, you may, you may, because you've been listening to the show. But the point is a deep, deep cause of what we're labeling mental illness is really mental unwellness that is ultimately being caused because the person does not know how to cultivate and take responsibility for the fact that they are an energy being in an energy world, they have an energy body, and they need to take care of it at least as well as they take care of their car. Regularly, regular tune-ups, daily. Right, And then the other piece is this overblown ego built on this shaky, shaky foundation that will not last through adulthood. It's going to collapse one way or another because it's not built on the foundation of the wisdom of the body, the wisdom of the energy body, a healthy emotional body, a strong heartedness, and all of these qualities that as contemporary people, we can come to shamanism to help us to cultivate. How do we cultivate the soul-spirit aspect of who we are, so that it can rise up and begin to drag that ridiculously overblown ego into some proportions so that your ego can become a healthy ego. You don't want to not have one at all, but you want it to take its place where it belongs so that it can participate in the adventure of you living your soul's purpose. So this this is the kind of parsing out this understanding of the relationship between what has been labeled mental illness, inappropriately perhaps in our culture, but also labeling it of these shamanic people and their initiatory process. Um, And then somehow equating what we're experiencing here in America with that initiatory process over there. Now, hopefully in listening to this, if you are actually having a spontaneous shamanic initiation outside of a traditional cultural context, you can begin to understand, oh, I'm in the soul kidnap theme. Let me participate in this. Where am I? Am I in the beginning? Am I in the middle or am I in the end? Is it time for me to escape? Or 
you're maybe having the greeting overwhelm slash challenge state. Is it a test of your wits? Is it a physical test? How can you coalesce your resources into that experience and have it? Let it run its course. Let it take you to the end where you can return um, dismembered, remembered uh, with new body parts that are going to allow you to be that. So maybe you are having that. Great. Do it then. Let it have its beginning, middle, and end. Stop interrupting it and stop taking pharmaceuticals to keep you from being able to have it. I mean, now, okay, to be responsible, if you are on pharmaceuticals, do not just stop, right? Come off them in whatever way it's prescribed. But if you really are having a shamanic initiatory experience, have it. Let yourself have it. Become the person you're supposed to be. Develop that intimacy with spirit. But for most of us here in America, we're not being called to be shamans. We're being called to grow up, to become spiritual adults, and to function in our world responsibly. There is so much to be done. Your soul's purpose gifts are needed everywhere. And you cannot give them to the world if you're in an unhealthy mental state, if you are not living in a way that is sustainable, that is inspiring to others, that is loving and beneficial. And so if you're having one of those mental illness experiences, then understand it for what it is. Don't aggrandize it into some kind of shamanic initiation. Let it be your initiation into adulthood and grow up. And understand, for those of you that listen to the show and see it as an excuse to get completely spun out of your mind over noticing all of the coincidences in life, all of the coincidences in life don't matter. Just the ones that are guiding you on your path matter. You need to learn to discern. You need a truth cord. So the other thing is ideas, ideas, ideas. I see this coming from people. Oh, I listen to your show and blah, blah, blah. I listen to your show and blah, blah, blah. I listen to your show and blah, blah, blah. It's just like ideas, 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 utterly out of context because there is no physical discipline. You're not bringing the ideas into your physical body through a practice like Qigong, yoga, some kind of daily discipline that you inhabit your body and spend time moving your, in your awareness in your body in the world. For others, it's too many voices that they see shamanism as an excuse to talk to anything. But shamanism is about discerning right relationship with helping spirits and learning where to send the rest, where do, where do the rest belong, how to be in right relationship and discern that. It's not just randomly talking to any old voice in your head. And there are shows about that already. And so the issue here is your cultivation of your truth cord, daily cultivation of the energy body and your truth cord. And understanding that this whole messianic complex that comes out in people's um, illness experiences, it's not about you being the one. It's about you learning to pay attention to the one unique thing you came here to bring. And that that programming through our monotheistic religions is not helping any of us. That it is important that we surrender to the spirit energy shown us by nature not necessarily through mankind's bad ideas. So, so these, these experiences, 
that we're having, these altered state experiences that we're having are not necessarily mental illness, but yes, they are inconvenient. And it is important that we don't harm ourselves and we do not harm each other in losing track with ordinary reality. But using, losing track with ordinary reality is not necessarily always a bad thing. So the important thing in life is for you to find the support in the people around you and the belief systems that you share that can help you transform or to identify, I guess, the initiatory experience that you're in for what it truly is and to take that journey. So thank you everyone for joining me here today. I want to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering round and the wisdom that comes from those who have gone before us, from the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you everyone for joining me this week.